Grand Theft Auto thwarted in 42 minutes by the offer of free beer. Tired of Dogfish Head and Sam Adams? Well, too bad because we're headed again. CBA pressured by board members to sell out again. Coming up next, it's all beer. Welcome to It's All Beer, craft beer news, who's selling out to whom and for how many jelly beans. I'm Jeremy L. Jones. I'm Tyler. Hi, Tyler. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing excellent. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, what are we drinking here before we get into uh, the, uh, the the sellouts of this week? <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, I'm drinking a beer from Fremont. They're Dark Heron, uh, an expressive Indian pale ale. Yeah. What's it like? Oh, it's pretty good. Uh, didn't realize it was a hazy when I looked at the can. It, They're all hazy, Tyler. Yeah, Just but peace with it this. doesn't look like a hazy IPA can. It very like subtle. So. I mean, it looks sort of like it should be like a, a CDA or a, a a a dark IPA if you're yeah. a pedantic prick. I, I was gonna say like a stout is what I thought originally, but no, solid beer. They made it for the Emerald City Comic Con. I got me some of the Roadhouse uh, Mountain Jam. Nice straw color. It's got a nice, like, piney, like, that garlicky onion aroma that you were mentioning, like, on Summit that may, they may be using for this. Uh, but very light flavor. I'm kind of surprised. I was expecting a little bit more of a burst from uh, from this one. Mm-hmm. And Tyler's expect- inspecting the uh, date on the can. I there may- is no date on the can. There's no date on the can. So we may- it may have been better uh, a few months ago. but Because I think they're- this is volume three. I think they're on four now. Well, there you go. Okay. It was probably it, it may have been better earlier. It's not bad now. It just feels like it's been the hops haven't dropped all the way out. It just it does feel like it was a little bit smoother than it should be. So it's like an acoustic mountain jam. It, well, is there another? It, there's nobody. He no. has an electric guitar on the label, so fuck off, Gumby. <laughs> <Fair>. <laughs> all right. Well, that's how this episode is gonna gonna begin. <laughs> Tyler. What do you want to tell us about uh, the CBA and... Uh... Actually, I want to start with the feel-good story of the okay. week. Oh, that's right. We're going to start... So, found an article on the takeout.com about a brewery in Charlotte, North Carolina, unknown brewing company. Uh, their van got stolen, uh, all logoed out with unknown brewing company, blah, blah, blah. They It gets stolen. They post on social media uh, saying, we will give you a free beer keg to anyone with information on the van whoever finds it brad will buy you a keg party if you stole it and bring it back you also get a keg party uh their fans were able to find it in 42 minutes <laughs> who needs fucking OnStar when you got alcoholics <laughs> no wait so it was their fans that found it not the not the perpetrators uh from what i had read it was the fans but I don't know if the perpetrator just acted like a fan and said, "Yeah, here it is." <laughs> a joyride in a in a I get I'm guessing a delivery van of of some variety seems like an odd choice, but oh, 100%. And it is full out uh like you can see some of the pictures on their social media. Yeah, that's not subtle. That's... Yeah, no, it it screams, "This is a fucking brewery van." That's there's yeah there's not a lot of that's a that's a hard van to try to hide. Don't steal a van that has a, a giant hop wrap. I think is the <laughs> uh, is what I'm going to going to go with. Uh, they are also planning on doing a beer called Van Theft Auto and sell the pints for twenty five cents at the tap room as a thank you to the public for helping them find it. The funny thing, what, when did this happen exactly? On Wednesday. All right. So the funny thing is, my parents are actually in. 
uh, Charlotte, North Carolina right now. <laughs> so, Mom, Dad, you definitely don't listen to this because this technology is beyond you, but I'll have to get in touch with them see if we can... They can bring us some of this beer back home. Well, so I think they're going to brew it now, so it'd be a couple well, weeks Well, not out. that one, but I mean some beer from them. Oh, I'd love to. <laughs> or at least tell them that they're on this podcast. So, <laughs> All right. Beer geeks are killing craft beer news now. One of the themes uh, you get a lot in craft beer, and indeed one of the biggest sources of insanity in working in this industry or trying to sell in this industry at all comes from probably its most hardcore fans. I feel like I read about an article, what do you say, maybe once a month, once every other month, about essentially bemoaning how fickle craft beer uh, fans are. I mean, yeah. It's a double-edged sword. It's the people that are the early adopters are also the biggest pains in the ass. (laughs) How so? Uh, You'll just... They are the early adopters and want everyone to be making the style that they really love at this moment when the money for most breweries comes from the tap room the regulars that come in three four times a week have three four pints each time and they're drinking the core beers now it's not that's not for every brewery everywhere but uh from what i've found is you'll have those people being like well why doesn't this place make this beer because i would buy it well, you're not going to buy enough to justify keeping the lights on. I think I actually have a couple of faces in mind when you say that. Uh, but yeah, it is it is a tough market to sell to. And to be fair, they're not wrong. I think craft beer lovers tend to be fickle, needy, pretentious, persnickety, sons of bitches who uh, will fawn over your beer one week and then roll your eyes and say next with this ostentatious sigh the next. But anyway, so the reason I bring this up is not to tell our target audience that they suck. I feel like they know that deep down in their heart. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> I The reason I'm bringing it up, so we're coming back to the news that broke last week, actually just before we started recording the podcast. The, um, the merger or... Merger in quotes, or the sell, the full on sale, depending on how real you want to accept that this is between uh, Dogfish Head and Sam Adams. Like any individual that obsesses to an insane degree over craft beer, I've been following the fallout from the uh, from the merger since uh, it actually happened, just to see, just just to try and understand what it means uh, for the industry. It goes everywhere from. People going, it's not really this big of a deal. It's going to happen. Don't really think too much about it. Please move along. It's just business as usual. It's a big deal, but it's not really this big of a deal, so just go away. Everything from that to people screaming about the end of craft beer. It's all over. They're going to make us pump Bud Light into our eyeballs. It's There's no middle ground. But there's something I noticed, um, a lot, especially in the industry insiders, and it was hard to pin down... Uh, but it was this unsaid idea that it was basically inevitable that there was that it was going to happen and it was it was almost a matter of survival and i could never figure out why but i found this uh really wonderful article in the fullpint.com that explained it so far better than anybody um dan becker wrote a piece called dogfish head pulled off the greatest exit strategy of all time I'm not going to go over the entire article, uh, but it's worth checking out. I'll put it in the show notes. But bottom line, like Weyerbacher, which we talked back, uh, talked about back in episode three, it was a matter of survival. Uh, craft beer landscape has just changed so much since the time Dogfish Head was at their peak. And that, 
I probably was, and that's what what he maintains is around the time when they were doing the uh, that craft beer reality show. Um, they were doing a bunch of a bunch of cool things. They were expanding all over the country, and then there came a point where they had to contract. I know they retreated out of this market for uh, several years. They actually just came back to Idaho. What a year ago? They were never actually officially in it. Really? No, it was. A loophole that a person was doing using his... Oh, I know about that, but I thought at one point in time they no. were... Okay, so they just skipped Idaho entirely. Yes, they just passed right on through. So, so actually, the fun thing is is that Dogfish Head's still fairly new here, so I think a lot of this doesn't apply. You can still you can still find 60-minute IPA a lot of places, and it still sells. You can still find 90-minute, it still sells. But, I mean, I, I noticed the slow in Dogfish Head sales when I saw that they started a liquor company i was like well, you don't start a liquor company if you can't keep up producing beer right we're getting to a point where a lot of these breweries are getting to be uh, like a really inconvenient size they're too small to compete with the likes of ab InBev and try to pull any tap handles from them but they're not but there's they're too big to compete against the small local guys exactly and especially in especially when it comes to the craft beer fans because i'll tell you I'm not buying a whole lot of Sierra Nevada Pale for the uh, for the tap room, and I'm not buying a whole lot of New Belgium's Fat Tire, for example. These these core beers that these breweries have built a lot of their uh, reputation on hard sell uh, for a lot of uh, in a lot of places, especially in tap rooms and what have you. I almost feel like if you make the Brewers Association like top fifty craft breweries, it's almost a death sentence. Or you, you've got to find a way to continue to adapt because you, you've reached that sales where, yeah, in your home market, you may still be killing it. But out and about, people are like, oh, when you first hit that market, it's going to be all gung-ho. But after that, there's going to be a huge slow and they're going to be like, oh, had it. I'll try something new when it finally comes out. But they're still very much in that where they have to keep up with the cores and then they release a seasonal. It's not... The nimbleness of a smaller brewery like Revision Brewery that releases seven different fucking hazy IPAs a month. Speaking, of, I mean, I, I have that down because I did want to hit on them. I'm not convinced they do a different beer every month. I'm pretty well convinced they do the same beer with a different label. But <laughs> either way, it still sells. That may be. I mean, that may be a that may be genius marketing or. Uh, a scam depending on how you look at it um that, that maybe that may be a topic for another day but <laughs> but no that was but that's a good example of a a brewery that yeah they literally do do they have they have a they have their ipa they have a couple of core beers they have a couple of core beers they have a blondale uh like an ipa double ipa triple ipa and then the huge rotating series of hazy beers whether it's single ipa double ipa triple ipa hazies it's all yeah, they they just they do a, a, a bunch of different ones, but they're all. I don't know, every time I have them, I'm like, yep, that's that's good. It's revision. It's good. I don't think it's, it's like any... we used to say about Lagunitas. Yep, that's Lagunitas. <laughs> Touche. All right. Yeah. Um. I I have trouble arguing with that. I guess the days when you brew a cool beer and you're able to make a lot of money and that and that's good. You just brew this beer and you're able to make a make your living doing that. That's kind of going away. Yes and no. I think on the smaller scale with like the local, more smaller, nimble breweries, that still works because you can pump it through the tap room. Now, with someone like Dogfish Head size or Oscar Blue size, your your brew volume's so much more massive that you've got to push it into all those other markets to get it to go. 
And if it's popular, all your wholesalers and retailers are going to be like, oh, send more, send more. And then be like, why'd you send so much? It's that double-edged sword. And I notice a lot of a lot of breweries here will come will come into town, big fanfare for like a minute. Everything that they they touch turns to gold, and then just like that, they're gone. The distributor almost almost it's not so much that almost the consumers forget about them because I think a lot of consumers will look around and go, "Hey, whatever happened to blank blank?" And then you kind of shrug. The, the distributor doesn't have it anymore. And so I don't wonder if some of this maybe come from from the middleman who just says, "Okay, but we want to make sure we don't we're not stuck with anything." What it came down to, especially in this article, was that either you go into debt because they had already uh, borrowed some money from an equity firm to stay afloat. Yeah. And so it's either you you go you go into debt, end up having to default, sell your brewery, and that's it. You're done. Or sell to AB InBev, or maybe best case scenario, you sell to. And I do think this is best case scenario for Dogfish Head. I mean, with this sale, though, they added extra distribution. I think this is the best case scenario because if you sell to a private equity firm, it can have consequences. We'll kind of talk about a little bit later. Going to AB InBev, you're going to get all that blowback. But we've, if you look around at all the sell, the brewery sales over the last seven, eight years, it's all been those bigger breweries but compared to Boston Beer or DG Yingling and Sons and AB InBev, Miller Coors, they're minuscule. Mm-hmm. It's Boston Beer did 2 million barrels of beer, I think, last year. Dogfish Head, who most people would say is a pretty big national brewery. It does make you realize just how small the craft beer market is. And, well, and of course, you know, Sam Adams gets to have some of their credibility back after mo- pumping out a lot of cider and hard seltzer recently. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's uh, again, it is, I think I think we even commented this is probably a good thing for both. But um, do you think you could you can still do, like, dogfish head-like? Because they made their bones on doing just cool shit. They were one of the first breweries to just do cool shit um you know let's slam these two ingredients together and see what happens there was some there were some things they did well some things like hit or miss but i mean the first they're the first ones that i think the, the first wood aged beer i had was the palo santo the 90 minute was one of the first ipas i'm like oh, okay i can actually dig and i actually dig an ipa a lot of that innovation now is going to go to smaller breweries or i think so i think uh where the smaller breweries are able to go out and get a handle is by having that innovation. I mean, the days of the dedicated seasonal are going away. It's the one and done batches now. Or, yeah, we do a seasonal, but it's one batch. We do this much. Get it while you can. Mm -hmm. And if you miss it, we'll catch you next year. (laughs) Because retailers are gun shy. I mean, pumpkin beer is the perfect example. Yes, we we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And so I think the crazy innovation is going to be left on a smaller scale. And I'm not saying it has to be just a brewery that only sells through its tap room. It You can still keep that innovation, but doing a couple states worth of distribution. I honestly think the days of breweries going coast to coast, all 50 states of distribution are kind of phasing out because I don't think, I mean, there still will be breweries that do it, but it's going to be fewer and far between. Do you think we'll get to this spot? I mean, Here's what I kind of, after reading this, what I kind of started to wonder is, okay, we are the craft beer landscape becomes essentially 
three or four really big like craft beer conglomerations uh, flying the BA independent craft label. Yeah, I'm going back to that. Um, but like three or four consolidations, a hand, a smattering of uh, of smaller breweries, and then ABN Bev. Is that where we're headed? Uh, it feels like it's, that's where we're going. Yeah, I think making a couple tweaks off that. You'll have your big beer, AB InBev, corporate giant up here. Then you'll go down to kind of these conglomerates of craft beer. So your Duval Morgans, uh, the Fireman Capital with Oscar Blues, and a couple of those others, your Boston Beer, Dogfish Head. Then you'll have kind of the medium regional size players where they've got 14, 15 state distribution. They're not huge, but they're big. And then you're going to have kind of that smaller, more locally focused one to four state distributions or just in that local state. And I guess we'll kind of leave it with uh, with, with this thought. Um, you know, I, one of the first craft beers that I, I remember getting into was Arrogant Bastard, mostly because of the name, to be honest. I, I, I don't know how much I liked it at the time other than in college I liked bringing Arrogant Bastard to a party and then behaving that way because <laughs> I was a prick in college. And some might argue that that hasn't changed. Um, but I something I, I was at a, a beer beer competition a while ago, uh, talking with this o- older uh, grizzled craft beer type guy, who was bemoaning the entire industry, saying that all these breweries are pumping out beers left and right. Nobody's making a beer that I'd want to drink more than once, and no one drinks a beer more than once. I don't go get my I don't go get a normal beer. I'm a special case. I just make my own beer and. That's usually what I have on draft. I don't know. I think I think some people have a couple daily drinkers that they have around the house. But otherwise, your craft beer fans are looking for the next big new thing, and it's uh it's a tough uh it's tough it's a tough at a certain height to be able to constantly provide that and compete. So yeah, I would say the dedicated craft beer fans and the hardcore craft beer fans that very much applies to now your average just beer drinker who may have a case of Miller at home. And then go out to a local brewery because that's their local watering hole. They're going to have that dedicated daily drinker. But there's they still have the variety where, oh, that's new. I'll try that. Mm-hmm. So, oh. Moving on to, uh, speaking and speaking of buyouts, sellouts, and uh, everything in between, Tyler. Yeah. So the CBA uh, is getting right now from some of their shareholders uh, to sell uh, because of the Boston Beer Dogfish Head sale it's getting some of the cba's board member mainly the boston-based private investment fund midwood capital management llc which owns about two percent of cba's outstanding shares found this article on brewbound.com and they talk about how they're pressuring uh the cba to sell the last 76.9 percent of the brewery because that is what's best for shareholders uh, AB InBev currently owns 33.1% of the CBA, so that's Kona, Red Hook, Widmere. And so with this, uh, it's kind of uh, kind of interesting timing because AB InBev has until... So AB InBev, uh, either this year or next year, has to make a qualified offer to buy the company for $24.50 per share or pay a $20 million fee as part of a 2016 commercial agreement between the two. Mm-hmm. So they're making the push that the CBA should strongly consider that, or if uh, AB InBev decides not to make a qualified offer, 
to turn around and look for another purchaser to try to match that price because over the last year their stocks traded between thirteen seventy six and twenty dollars and ninety cents. Well, it's interesting they're going to AB InBev because AB InBev has been curiously not interested in buying a whole lot of well anything recently. The last the last AB InBev I can, acquisition I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, was actually uh, the uh, Hard Seltzer, um, not White Claw. That was um, Spike Seltzer, Spike Seltzer, which they turn into Bonham Viv. But actually, the last purchase they made was uh, Wicked Weed in 2017. Oh, that oh, very okay. Yeah, I do vaguely remember that. Only reason I know this, I just finished reading Josh Knoll's book, uh, Barrel Age Stouts and Selling Out: uh, The Story of Goose Island, and he talks about uh, all the development of AB InBev high end department and buying all the breweries. So, so I mean, I think it's interesting because you know the, those bastards at AB InBev, and you are bastards. Um, they. They seem to have they seem to have been out and out in force back in 2015, 2016, buying I think they bought four or five breweries in one go, and then they kind of tapered off as if kind of I'm not sure if that was like okay that's it that's all we're doing or all right we're making this investment to see or that I have no idea what they're what they're planning but it's interesting that the that this um, investment firm says ooh AB InBev they'll want some of this. I don't think they do, or at least I. They do, and the big and the only reason AB would be willing to bite, and I've seen a couple other articles talking about how AB's been kind of kicking this around, is because of Kona. Kona itself is positioned as a lifestyle brand, is what I'm seeing from reports. That's like the one thing kind of missing from AB's portfolio. A lifestyle brand. Yes. All right. Well, so we may have to. We, all right, I feel like we're going to have to get into these weeds because there's actually been a story we've we've not gotten into that we've kind of been putting off and we've left to the side. Um, as a lifestyle brand, I'm guessing it's the whole Hawaii thing. That um, spoiler alert is a lie. <laughs> yes. Uh, which that's kind of the other thing is. So it's the lifestyle. Which life brand. is it? Is it like the tropical island? The kick it on the beach, just relax, free. That's what I've gathered from just the couple articles I've perused. Kona is the beer sold in the United States or on the mainland is brewed usually by Red Hook or Widmere. So, just for the record, if uh, if your lifestyle is uh, a beach and Kona brewing and living on a beach and not wearing clothes, I kind of want you to get beaten by a hobo with a bike chain. Just, just want to throw that out there. <laughs> but that that's why they're saying that it could be actually appealing to Anheuser-Busch to pick that up because they can help market with that and try to gain back some traction that they're losing. Despite the fact that, as was, I don't think anybody was surprised that it was. It makes perfect sense because why in all the fucks would you haul the ingredients to Hawaii, make the beer, then haul the beer back? Yeah. Because just supply that just doesn't make any goddamn sense. So it doesn't. I don't. Anybody who has an ounce of brains probably knew in their heart that it wasn't made in Hawaii, or at least not none of the stuff made on the mainland was made in Hawaii. But I mean. It was big enough that they 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 had to uh, they had to settle that. Yes, they did. And I mean, with this here, it also makes a little bit of logical sense since 
AB InBev already owns a third of the company. Might as well. Might as well own a little bit more. Yeah. Will this have much of an effect? Because, I mean, people who follow craft beer already know that at least Kona and, and Widmere are part or at least partially owned by AB InBev. I feel like there's a there's a there's a few people who are just savvy enough to kind of understand that. And that is probably where the the uh, the the BA seal is, might be useful in, in in things like that. But yeah, I think so. From what I've just gathered, talking to different retailers and that, they're like, yeah, it's Kona. AB InBev owns part of the CBA, but not all of it. So it's not as much bad big beer influence. So I think if they were to go out and actually buy all of it, there'd be a lot of blowback. Really? You think there'd be, I mean, 30% versus 100%? I think so. A, I'm starting to become convinced that that's not a big issue for your average drinker. It's an issue, it's a big issue for when you, the deeper you get into craft beer until it becomes not an issue anymore. I Um, think that there's going to be some where if it were to hit the news tomorrow that AB InBev now owns the CBA and all those breweries... In the Northwest, there'd at least be a little freak out. See, I don't think there would be because I think people who know enough about who the people who care about not supporting AB InBev would are, already knows, and those who don't really care, they probably don't know. But as I said before, they don't care. I don't think the blowback would be there, but. Yeah, Prove me wrong, people. Go out, grab their, grab your pitchforks and uh, and uh, and torches, and go uh, and go burn some fool who's sitting in a, with a uh, grass skirt on the beach. And I, I think more of the blowback would be coming from retailers. Realize that yes, it AB InBev does have a tie, but it's not fully owned like your Goose Islands, your Elysian, your Ten Barrels, your Wicked Weed. Uh, and so at that point, they're like, yeah, we. We'll still sell it because it sells good. They're not fully owned, so they're not full bad. And not so much now, but when I ran, when I was the beer buyer at a craft beer joint, I mean, unlike unlike the, the someone who came before me who was very, very, you know, they, they didn't want to carry AB InBev, my opinion of it was like, that's not my choice to make for somebody. I'm here to provide the beer that people want to drink. If they want to drink AB InBev, then, you know... Kind of prefer you didn't, but uh, your money is good. So give me, give, fuck you, give me your money. Um, and I'll tell you right now, I'll I would if any any place I'm running, I'm gonna tell them to buy the shit out of Kona Brown, uh, that coconut brown they do uh, uh, during winter because holy fuck does that shit sell. <laughs> <laughs> so I even par- wholly owned by AB InBev, I would still grudgingly say, yeah, put that on the shelf because dumbasses are gonna drink the shit out of that. <laughs> <laughs> So I don't know. Maybe I'm cynical. I but uh, what else? What do you think? Have anything else besides just the blowback, or is this that would be? Is there any other part of that that would make a difference at this point in time if it was partially owned? I I think just the blowback is from my perspective. Get, you, right about now, yeah. So I guess all the your only recourse is to uh, again grab the torches and pitchforks and uh, go uh, go after the dude bro on the beach. What right. do we got up next, Jeremy? <laughs> right now, there's some guy on the beach going, "Fuck you, ma'am." <laughs> I just wanted a beer on there. <laughs> Adventures in retail news now. All right, this this so this story was interesting to me. I spent most of my craft beer career largely in retail, as we've kind of said before, Tyler. 
You've been on the brewery side for the last several years. This, uh, this, this, this comes from both of our respective sides. A brewery in Cincinnati, and apparently a few others, but uh, uh, this concerns a brewery in Cincinnati, um, Urban Artifact, will be releasing their special salted rye goza. But as opposed to a uh, taproom-only release, which is becoming increasingly common, if not almost uh, standard to, to uh, put out your best or your special releases t- uh, as a taproom exclusive, they're doing this, basically they're doing the opposite of that. This is a retail exclusive offering. You will not be able to buy this at their taproom. This is just for their retail partners. This offering is from their Epicurean lineup and will be, yeah, they're just doing it to the local tap rooms, just doing it to the local bottle shops. Um, it's kind of interesting because, again, we've talked a little bit of already about how where this industry is going and how it's changing. And one of the ways it's changing is that the on the small scale for small breweries, the brew pub is becoming the place where you sell your beer. Am I, I mean, am I kind of right about that? Yes, uh, I mean, the days of the big production brewery where you don't have a tap room are going by the wayside. I mean, where you make your margin is in the actual brewery. Uh, oddly enough, when Jeremy brought this up, uh, telling me about this article, I was like, did you actually hear this in a podcast? Because good, the Good Beer Hunting podcast, uh, based out of Chicago, did kind of a roundtable discussion where they were talking to a couple of breweries there, as well as the local bars. And the brewery that they were talking with actually did a beer called the Taproom Exclusive with Good Beer Hunting and a couple of the bars, and re- released it everywhere. But the Taproom, oddly enough, calling it Taproom Exclusive, <laughs> made it. A nice wait, little wait, wait. jab. Explain this name to <laughs> me. I don't understand. <laughs> but there's, uh, I know we talked about it uh, as Idaho breweries at our most recent Idaho Beer Summit. We had kind of a taproom roundtable and we're talking, has anyone experienced this? I don't think it's happened yet, but I know just from this article and that podcast I was listening to, and it makes sense, is when a brewery is selling a bunch of beer at their taproom, they're technically competition to the bars nearby. Mm-hmm. They also want the bars to be a customer of theirs and buy the beer. So it's a really odd thing. Uh, I know in the podcast they were talking about uh, where they start to have a problem is when that brewery then starts doing food, liquor, wine, which in Idaho you don't really run into that as much. I mean, no. the brewery I work for, we do wine and cider at the brewery as well, but... More is just a more is just an option for yes. the, for the the guy who drags in their their yes. person uh, their significant other or, or friend gluten or gluten intolerant or yes yeah. so like, I don't drink beer we so. have one yeah. cider one red one white well that and I I think that makes absolutely insane uh-huh. sense because again you might be it, if they're gonna be there yeah I mean I I know as somebody who whose wife does not appreciate beer with the same ferocity I do, it is nice to be able to go, no, 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 they have a cider on draft. It's it's okay. Mm-hmm. That's that's going to be, be the difference between whether or not I go there. So that yeah. makes sense. But, I mean, when you start, you don't run into it here because I think the food, trying to trying to incorporate food is just a pain in the ass. Uh-huh. I think most breweries, Liquor licenses are hard to get. And liquor licenses is a whole different thing and out here. Yeah. A lot of breweries around town also don't do guest taps. And that's one thing they brought up. Is if you're doing guest taps as well as those others, you're really just putting up a giant middle finger to say fuck you. I know at the brewery I work for, we make a point to try to not undercut any of our retailers. We try to make sure our pint prices are charged 
around the same price as most pints around town, as well as, uh, best example, one of our beers in the 22-ounce bottle is in Costco. Mm-hmm. We sell it for $5 at the brewery, uh, as do most retailers that carry our beer, sell it for about $4.99, $5. But Costco sells it for $4 or $4.50 or something like that. Way undercutting us, and people were like, well, why don't you mask Costco's price? I was like, because then we turn around and undercut every single other retailer that is selling that beer, and we don't want to do that. Costco's, it's a whole nother beast. Yeah, yeah. No one's going to try to keep up with them. But we're not going to turn around and just gouge our other retailers. Mm-hmm. I noticed what's happening, and it especially I, I came across this when I was researching that piece I did about Texas last week, is that um, a lot of these breweries want to open up multiple tap rooms uh, because that's where they're making their money. And it's it's one thing to be like, hey, you have to go to this place to, to, to have, you know, the special release from this beer, but when they're popping up here and here and here, and I know a couple of breweries here are open up tap rooms in downtown Boise in addition to their spot, you know, elsewhere Mm -hmm. in the state. I see the, I definitely see the uh, attraction to, well, wait a minute, we make a shit ton more money on the beer. Um, We don't have to worry about distribution or any of that horse shit. Yeah, let's do a bunch of special releases. Let's do all of our special releases here. Bring people to us. And it's just better, and then we'll have a second location, a third location. We'll just be the the go to place to get your beer. But it does kind of put you're still making money off the tap rooms, and that's where I'll, I think you get a lot of your. That's where you get a lot of consumers that have your beer for the first time. It's not mm-hmm. maybe not seeing your beer at your tap room, but it's seeing you on a on a tap list at you know, their like, favorite watering hole. Yeah, and I was gonna say it makes it a lot easier when your brewery's located across town, then, yeah, if you're doing a special event, it makes it easier to sell them a keg. They don't have to worry about you competing because if people are going to drive over there, they're making that trip. Mm-hmm. It's not like you're two blocks away. Um, I know, at least on our side, we try to... We'll sell the kegs if we're releasing a beer, let's say, on a Saturday. We'll start... Sell, we'll make sure that beer is ready by like that Monday. Start selling it to retailers and saying, Hey, we're releasing this Saturday at our tap room. We want to give you guys the first chance at getting it so that way you can get it on. And people are like, Well, doesn't that kind of defeat the purpose of releasing it at the brewery? I'm like, Yes and no, because a lot of the bars that we're selling it to aren't super close to our brewery. Mm-hmm. So it's people that are like, oh, that was great. Oh, they're doing a party for that on Saturday? Let's go down and see it. I mean, this is interesting that a lot of uh, breweries are kind of recognizing that, you know, there are, there are those that are, while they're expanding their own tap rooms, there are others that are recognizing, no, shit, no, shit, really. The reality is, is that we still rely on, we rely on the tap room, you know, the, the that, that corner place that has, maybe they have five craft beer taps, maybe they have 50 as, as, as it tops out. Um, those are important because, again, that's where that's where people like look at the long list and they see your beer standing out among, again, 10, 5, 10 other... 50, how many, 75. Yeah, how many other craft beer breweries, not only from, not only locally, but probably from around the country. I know there's a lot of people who come into our tap room and that's the first they've heard of uh, your brewery is, is yeah. seeing they're seeing they're on our list. And yeah, I buy Tyler's beer. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, 
But there's no better marketing than when you can get someone to come I'm in. Saying, I'm saying it's Tyler sucking up to me right now. So uh, let's just... No, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> what I'm saying is there's no better marketing than someone coming into your brewery, sitting down, having a pint, seeing the tanks, smelling, especially if it was a brew day that day, smelling the aroma of the beer. And it really allows a bartender who knows a ton about the beer and a lot about the history of the brewery to give the story to the customer where not all bars know the origin story of the brewery or um, the backstory on the brewery or the specific beer. So, um, I mean, I'm just, just going to finish off with uh, this. I mean, with, I think we've hit most of these, but this was the reason that um, this was a statement from um, um, Urban Artifact as to why it was important for them to, to do something like this for the, for the uh, tap rooms and uh, retail spaces that support them. Um, the brewery, the brewery taproom was meant to help spur the growth of craft beer by giving breweries a means to market their beer directly to consumers. The taproom has allowed breweries a way to build a brand and sell additional beer at retail pricing, which has helped buffer the razor-thin margins inherent in running a small craft brewery. Taprooms were never meant, or sorry, taprooms were never intended to take business away from retailers, but instead grow the craft beer market at large. A rising tide raises all ships. However, this divide, spurred on by rapid expense of brewery tap rooms, continues to grow more and more, and breweries are relying heavily on tap rooms to sell the majority of their beer. There are also a handful of breweries in Ohio and around the company, sorry, and around the country, opening multiple tap rooms across their distribution footprint. This is further cutting the sales of their retail partners, which they are calling on week after week for sales. So that was kind of their like a a. Again, a thank you for helping us build our brand, and I think that's again, it's nice little, a nice yeah. little. This is the, the, these are the small businesses working together in this industry, which yeah. is kind of cool. And I mean, kind of just to wrap it up, at least on my side, you got to play the middle. It's you can't be, oh, we're only going to sell this through our tap room, or we're only going to give this away out in the market. It's play the middle. And the small com- the small bars will recognize, hey, no, we're down to the last couple cakes. We make a little bit more at our tap room. We'll get you the fresh back one. No one's really gonna bark at it. Tyler, do you have anything to add? Uh, no. If besides, if you're looking for a good book, read the Barrel Age Stouts and Selling Out. And uh, we'll get to the pink shit coming out of the sewer in Milwaukee another day, maybe. I keep <laughs> on, I keep on having that on my list, but uh, you know, we'll. Just, we'll, we'll tease that for another time, maybe. <laughs> well, anyway, so this has been It's All Beer. Uh, you can reach us on Twitter or Facebook at It's All Beer or by email at itsallbeer at gmail.com. Um, I, I think I even check it once or twice every once in a while. Uh, music was Retro Future Dirty by Kevin McLeod at incompetech.com. And be sure to rate this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or that weird fucking carrier pigeon you use to get this podcast. I don't know how it works, but that's if that's if that's your process, you go with it. Uh, give them a good rating because you know what? It makes Tyler squee a little bit, and that's <laughs> that's what I live for. <laughs> and then I don't have to drink PBR. I thank you, and by the way, thank you everybody for uh, for uh, 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 giving us love on that picture. Uh, <laughs> it made Tyler's day to be known as the guy who was swinging. PBR no, on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well that's all for us. I'm Jeremy Jones. I'm Tyler Zimmerman. Let's go have a PBR. No. Enjoy a beer. <laughs> <laughs>